Welcome to the Manor. Welcome back to the Twin Terrors Macabre Manor of Mead, Metal, and Mayhem. I'm Jody. And I'm James. And welcome as we continue our haunted October Halloween Samhain spooky spectacular festival of blitzkrieging zombies and vampires and ghosts and what's not. Which is Blit, blitz blitzkrieging? Blitzkrieging. <laughs> okay. Blitzkrieg, blitzkrieg. <laughs> Every time you say that, that's exactly the scene I picture. <laughs> <laughs> if I wasn't so attached to the computer with my headphones, I would do the chest pound with it. But you <laughs> <laughs> see your headphones flying across the room. <laughs> as long as it doesn't get stuck on my nose. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what I was just thinking. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say great minds, but also us. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> So, uh, moving right along. Yeah. <laughs> As you all know from our first episode of the month, we're doing a Halloween author spooky type of thing this year. Mm-hmm. And today, we're focusing on that wonderful curmudgeon from America, Ambrose Bierce. Yes. We're not going to go into the background of Ambrose. Uh, we will in a future episode. Uh, Jody's already started sketching out some notes, and I have a couple things. You know, it's Halloween, so we're just going to focus on a not even half dozen, a handful, an exact handful of spooky short stories. A handful? Five. That's a handful, right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I can hold them all in my hand, so fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> All of these are fairly short. The five we mentioned, you can easily read that they're they're older. They're from the late 1800s ish area, so the writing is different. Yeah. So it's it's okay though. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, it's it's actually it's. I I'm finding that I I, I actually like some of the writers from that era better than some of the modern writers. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I just think I <laughs> I just think I like certain authors of any time better than other authors of yeah that's I, I think for the most part that's that's kind of the way i am too so many things about ambrose we could talk about and we will in the next ambrose episode but for now we're going to focus on five i say five ah 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 one two <laughs> three four five to get the vampire thing in there nice moving on before we get started yes i we're going to say, or however I should say that with actual English and grammar, <laughs> I are drinking <laughs> <laughs> yes. a lovely raspberry wheat beer from Fish Moon Brewing, which is a, I've mentioned in the podcast before, it's a uh, brewery really close by where I live in a kind of small town. So I'm glad they opened and uh, it's not my usual thing because I try to usually match up my beers with our topic, but uh, they're, they're to go bottles are kind of like the old gross things where uh you know like the the wonky metal claspy with the rubber stopper tent. oh yeah 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 um 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 yeah yeah gross yeah you know i've had a couple left for a while and i'm afraid they'll start going bad so i thought i should drink it tonight and it's good nice. it's good so you know and fish moon you know it's got moon in the title <laughs> i am currently checking in with my beer on the app that shall not be named because they're not paying us. Um, I, I am having a Elysian 
the Great Pumpkin, Imperial Pumpkin Ale. Yeah, so, how, how's this one? Is it pretty um, good? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's actually, it's got a lot of uh, pumpkin pie spice flavor to it, so. I, I, I love pumpkin ales, but I don't like them to be overly spicy, but an Imperial has to have that pumpkin spice kick. Yeah, yeah, this one, um, it's like 8.8% or something like this, at least 8%. Um, it's, uh, it's actually, it's got a pretty good balance. I think. I mean, it's it's enough pumpkin spice, you know, you get some good flavor out of it, but it's not so overwhelming to me, so. All right. Well, should we move on? Uh, yes. As you drink your themed beer, and I drink the beer I don't want going bad, because it's good, and I don't want it going bad. There you go. You naughty, naughty beer. You've gone bad. <laughs> We're going to start with a short story, and just as a heads up, I, I print these off from either Project Gutenberg, but there is the Ambrose Beers Project out there where you can also print off a lot of his stories. So when I give pages, like, hey, this one's only this many pages, that's the eight and a half by 11 sheet, like a printer yeah. sheet yeah. page. Uh, but this first one, The Damned Thing, copyright 1898, mm -hmm. is uh, six, six such pages. So oh. I, you know what, actually five, once you take away the cover, piece it's it's pretty much five nice but uh very good three parts four parts uh something like that uh starts off very interesting what the story is about is a an author a young man goes out and he hangs out with an elderly more older outdoorsy woodsmany type of fella to mm -hmm. get some experience so he can write about things uh but of course something happens to the old man and, and it's not going to be a spoiler to say that we all know he dies because in the very first paragraph it starts by the light of the tallow candle which had been placed on the end of a rough table a man was reading something written in a book there were nine people in the room but one of them of course was covered by a sheet and he talks about how extending an arm any one of them could have touched the eighth man who, because mm -hmm. there's one standing who lay on the table face upward partly covered by a sheet his arms at his sides he was dead so, you know, not a spoiler. The cool part is, though, is how he dies. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I, I, won't, I, won't, I won't tell. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, for, 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 for two reasons, two reasons. One, I have read the story, but I don't remember. And, <laughs> and, and two, I don't want to give it away because then people won't read the story. Right. You know, you should read yeah. the story. I mean, yes. getting there is also part of the fun, but, yes. you know. So the, the characters in the story, most of them are, it's a kind of a jury type of thing. They're figuring out what happened to the guy. That's why they're reading out of the book. It's his diary, mm -hmm. the old man's diary. And, and they have a young man. The, the young man comes in to give his account of what's going on. But for the most part, you only really get to know three people. The young man, the older judge-like guy who's reading the book at the beginning, and the old woodsman who, of course, is the corpse. Yeah. One of the things I like about Ambrose Bierce's writing is he has a lot of characters in different stories where they're kind of like a Teddy Roosevelt thing because they talk about the younger author guy being sort of a city guy, a city boy who isn't very strong and kind of weak, but all the other people were farmers and woodsmen and rugged and, you know, just practical and that's it. Yeah. The judge, the, the guy reading, he's not really one or the other. He's got aspects of both. And, and I love that type of character because I, I don't know how much I succeed, but I, I like to emulate that type of thing where you can be both. Yeah. I like that. Yep. And uh, Judge, he's kind of the judge of this jury group thing here, but he's actually the coroner and kind of, you know, that's why he's at 
educated, but also, you know, it's, it's a thing. Mm-hmm. And it could be, be two things. It could be two things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, and as a heads up, this writing, Bro, Ambrose Bierce, we'll talk about later. He was in the Civil War and his writings take place soon after the Civil War. So if you want to flavor what the country was like at that point in time, that, that would also yeah. help a little bit. And he talks about soldiers and their thoughts and feelings and things. So yes, you know, kind of give you that aspect. And, and so the young man comes in, the author, he's giving his version of what's happened. And there's a little bit of foreshadowing, which comes from the title of the story. So it's not like I'm going to spoil anything, but as he and the older woodsmen are out doing their things, the woodsman gets uncharacteristically freaked out, like real jittery and a little a fear to stuff and and when the young man asks what it is what the devil is it that damn thing he replied his voice was husky and unnatural he trembled visibly dun, dun, dun. so all we know is that there's something out in the wilderness the damn yeah. thing I, i'm not sure how much i should say now to give it away but i will say the fight scene however much of a fight it is between that damn thing and the old man is very graphic Mm -hmm. you know especially for the late 1800s it would be considered graphic but ambrose bierce being a civil war veteran saw a lot of people die and his explanation of what he looked like as he the corpse lay on the table you can tell that he has first-hand knowledge of seeing dead bodies yeah especially brutally murdered killed in war, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Excellent job of portraying that damn thing. And I, I, the damn thing, and I don't want to give any more away than that. But the, <laughs> the, the fight is awesome. The talking about how scared you can become is awesome. The, the, there's a dog owned by the old man, and then its reactions, I think, are spot on. And, and I don't want to say anything else except that at the end, uh, I, I won't say where this comes from because that would be a spoiler Mm -hmm. but one of the very last couple of sentences talks about how the human eye is an imperfect instrument its range is but a few octaves of the real chromatic scale and i'm not mad there are colors we cannot see and to me that's a very lovecraftian thing it yes it is (laughs) especially especially if you've read the caller out of space (laughs) that's actually the one i was going to match up i'd like to point out that ambrose bierce wrote this 29 years before the color out of space came out yeah so ambrose bierce was before lovecraft he he was uh, would you would uh, would this be a good spot for my uh perfect my, my quote okay so one of the um one of the one of the books that ambrose bierce wrote was called a cynic looks at life and uh it's it's not fiction it's it's a lot of cynical and sarcastic sayings <laughs> and uh, but he um he had this quote and, and uh Civilization is the child of human ignorance and conceit. If man knew his insignificance in the scheme of things, he would not think it worthwhile to rise from barbarity to enlightenment. But it is only through enlightenment that he can know. That line in there, um, if man knew his insignificance in the scheme of things, that is also something else that plays right into Lovecraft because that (laughs) that, that is the core of Lovecraftian horror is man does not know his insignificance in the scheme of things and when he learns it he tends to go insane (laughs) i'm mad i tell you mad (laughs) no that fits really well yep 
yeah. yeah, the great old ones out there, man means nothing. Although yep. I think Bierce just meant that even from an agnostic point of view, man's we're still insignificant. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> That's why I like my dark humor. Yes. Me too. <laughs> Sooner you just embrace the ennui of existentialism. <laughs> better off you are. The next one is The City of the Gone Away. Uh, first published as The Gone Away, A Tale of Medical Science and Commercial Thrift in the San Francisco Examiner, December 2nd, 1888. So 10 years even prior to the one we just discussed. Yeah. And this is three pages on eight by 11 and a half sheets or eight and a half by 11, whichever. That's something like that. Yep. There's, it's told as a first person tale. So mm -hmm. you don't really get a lot of other characters. Just one person talking about a story and he talks about how he's born to these parents who were thrifty and honest and everything. And then he had a dream and in the dream he was told that that's bullshit and that's stupid. You're not going to succeed if you're going to be a thrifty, honest dumbass. <laughs> so, Upon awakening from the dream, collected a few things, bid adieu to my erring parents because they're dumb for being honest and hard workers, uh -huh. and departed out of that land, pausing at the grave of my grandfather, who'd been a priest, to take an oath that never again, heaven helping me, would I earn an honest penny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nothing like a little bit of blasphemy to get a story yeah. started. <laughs> uh, and, and he does come to another city. A great city by the sea where he set up as a physician because he had bribed people to give him the proper credentials so people thought he was a physician. <laughs> but he does well enough to bring his parents in, although he does set his father up as sort of a head of a business where it's kind of like a, a fence type of thing where he brings in illicit and stolen goods, but he sets it up so his father will take the fall if he's caught. <laughs> while at the same time taking all the money so his father doesn't get any of the actual good stuff out of the deal. The, the, the name of the story, by the way, comes from the name of the city because he couldn't remember the name. It had been gone for a while, so he just calls it the city of the gone away, and, and that mm -hmm. is foreshadowing for the end. But the, the diploma he got for being a physician was granted by the Royal Quackery of charlatanic empiricism at hoodoos. <laughs> so he see there's there's some of Bierce's sarcasm and wit and <laughs> yeah his curmudgeonly curmudgeonly wit. yeah <laughs> this gentleman works hard by working hard I mean not doing anything honest and becomes well esteemed throughout the city and a, a man of People people like him. I was going to say well-renowned again, but I realized that was <clears throat> redundant. A, a man of wealth and taste. <laughs> yes. The gentleman. <laughs> I'm going I'm to move on. <laughs> I'm going to read, uh, this will be, this is about halfway through, so I'm going to read this little piece just to give you an idea mm -hmm. of Bierce's writing. And, and I like how this works and you'll see why in a second because it's not only written well but have you read this one jody the city of the gun i don't think i have okay. um well, let's see if you get this then okay. let me see if you can figure out what he means so great grew the renown of my skill in medicine that patients were brought to me from all the four quarters of the globe burdensome invalids whose tardiness and in dying was a perpetual grief to their friends 
Wealthy testators whose legatees were desirous to come by their own, superfluous children of penitent parents and dependent parents of frugal children, wives of husbands ambitious to remarry, and husbands of wives without standing in the courts of divorce. These and all conceivable classes of the surplus population were conducted to my dispensary in the city that gone away. They came in incalculable multitudes. Government agents brought me caravans of orphans, paupers, lunatics, and all who had become a public charge. My skill in curing orphanism and pauperism was particularly acknowledged by a grateful parliament. (laughs) (laughs) It won't spoil it if you want to tell people what you got out of that. What I will what I will say about that is that reminds me of uh, a, a, uh, I'm trying to remember what it's classified as. It was something that was written by Jonathan Swift. A modest proposal by Jonathan Swift, written in 1729. Is, <laughs> yep, that's exactly what I was thinking too, which was a itself a satirical broadside type of piece that Jonathan Swift wrote, talking about how you could you could fix starvation in Ireland by simply eating the lower class. Yep. <laughs> and uh, it, it's, it's similar to what Beers is saying here, although he's not saying eat them. He is obviously killing the poor and the destitute and yeah. the people who just won't die so they don't have to be taken care of or you can get your <laughs> last and testament read. <laughs> I'm not dead yet. <laughs> <laughs> I could go for a walk. <laughs> You're not fooling anybody. <laughs> I feel happy. <laughs> Sorry. Monty Python. Okay. <laughs> uh, we will get to uh, Holy Grail sometime. <laughs> yep. We promise. <laughs> to, to move on, uh, we're halfway done, and I won't give actually very much more, but I will say the next bit is the hook, because the author of the story, the person telling the story, has a cemetery where he puts all of these people that he's been killing and the aldermen declared it a public evil because they wanted to move all the bodies to someplace else because the city had grown up to such a degree that they wanted that spot for something else. Uh, and, that, and that's the hook. That's where things start to uh, become uh, iffy for our, well, I want to say protagonist, but I'm not sure what to call <laughs> the, the guy telling the story who's obviously a evil, wretched bastard. Uh huh. He's not necessarily the antagonist. He's just the yeah. author. <laughs> uh huh. Anyway, they they do talk about how they're going to dig up the bodies and move them, and and he has a big paragraph in there that talks about how the priesthood comes in and they're going to do these things, and they have hymns and everything, and it's very solemn and has a ritual, and it's it's a lovely little paragraph that you can all read it yourselves. Yes. Uh, but I, I will say that as they're starting to move the bodies. Mm-hmm. For the multitude of corpses you would expect to find in a cemetery, there is a distinct dearth of said corpses. Every place they try to dig, there are no bodies to be found. Uh-oh. And uh, there are two things that come from this. One that we've already mentioned, that's only like a semi-spoiler. He knew what was going to happen. So he packed up all of his stuff, took everything he possibly could, and bolted before they started doing this ritual. Because They even paused for a little bit, waiting for him to show up, and finally went and did it. But because his dad had been set up as the head person of all this, uh, he talks about how he was his father was going to take the kinks out of some rope the next morning. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so he's going to let his dad hang for his own crimes. <laughs> mm. And I 
will not give away the actual really diabolical ending because you should read it seriously. It's three pages. Oh, yeah. But it is so awesomely evil and stuff. Uh, well, it's a step down from being about as evil as you could be, but it's it's still very wicked and awesome. And I will just say that the missing corpses were put to use. <laughs> uh huh. But I won't I bet, say I how bet, or why. I bet they were. And it it will not be what you're thinking, but it is still really cool. <laughs> <laughs> Our next story is called An Unfinished Race. This is literally three paragraphs. It is a half of a page of an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. <laughs> See, this is one of the reasons why I like these authors from a, a century and a half ago. <laughs> because, because they could tell a story in three paragraphs. Now, I, I know there are a lot of authors that can do that now. So, Yeah, uh, Neil Gaiman has some wonderful short stories and little poems and things like uh, Nicholas that we read last. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, hell, I don't know how much I should go into this because talking about it will be longer than reading it. But, <laughs> you know, I, I do like how they talk about, you know, I'll just say it. Although like many of his class in English towns, he was somewhat addicted to drink. Yep. Been there. <laughs> I don't know what he's talking about. Uh, no, 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 not at all. <laughs> And it, it's, I say uh, as I reach for my beer. <laughs> uh, there's a uh, a little piece. I'm not going to give a spoiler now, but when you listen to it here in a second, you'll see what it is. But all I'm going to say is, huh, at the very end, maybe he found the one ring. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, 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 nice. it's a very short story that uh, I'm, I'm going to give you now with my little bit of windy effects like I did last year with my spooky tale of Nira. Okay. An Unfinished Race by Ambrose Bierce. James Byrne Morrison was a shoemaker who lived in Leamington, Warwickshire, England. He had a little shop in one of the byways leading off the road to Warwick. In his humble sphere, he was esteemed an honest man, although like many of his class in English towns, he was somewhat addicted to drink. When in liquor, he would make foolish wagers. On one of these two frequent occasions, he was boasting of his prowess as a pedestrian and athlete, and the outcome was a match against nature. For a stake of one sovereign, he undertook to run all the way to Coventry and back, a distance of something more than 40 miles. This was on the third day of September in 1873. He set out at once. The man with whom he had made the bet, whose name is not remembered, accompanied by Barham Wise, a linen draper, and Hammerson Burns, a photographer, I think, following in a light car or wagon. For several miles, Borson went on very well, at an easy gait, without apparent fatigue for he had really great powers of endurance and was not sufficiently intoxicated to enfeeble them. Three men in the wagon kept a short distance in the rear, giving him occasional friendly chaff or encouragement as the spirit moved them. Suddenly, in the very middle of the roadway, not a dozen yards from them, and with their eyes full upon him, the man seemed to stumble, pitched headlong forward, uttered a terrible cry and vanished. He did not fall to the earth. He vanished before touching it. No trace of him was ever discovered. After remaining at and about the spot for some time with aimless irresolution, the three men returned to Leamington, told their astonishing story, and were afterward taken into custody. But they were of good standing, had always been considered truthful, were sober at the time of the occurrence, and nothing ever transpired to discredit their sworn account of their extraordinary adventure, 
dispute concerning the truth of which, nevertheless, public opinion was divided throughout the United Kingdom. If they had something to conceal, their choice of means is certainly one of the most amazing ever made by sane human beings. And that was An Unfinished Race by Ambrose Bierce. Oh, nice. So I said I have five. I'm not going to really talk much about the fourth one because everybody knows an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge if you know Ambrose Bierce. Yeah, that is, that is his most famous story. Yeah, I'm fairly certain I even had to read it in high school or I don't know if I had to read it or it was in one of the books in a high school class so I did read it, I, I, something. Uh, hmm. But it's, it's, it's interesting. Well, it, it sort of creates the genre of uh, an experience that happens right at the moment of death. Yes. Uh, it's, it's also, I think, considered an early example of weird tales, which we, we've talked about, uh, or, or a weird story. And we've talked about Weird Tales magazine and, and the pulp stuff, too. So Lovecraft and Robert E. Howard and, and all that. So. Yeah. I'm not going to give much. If you like the Civil War era, this gives you a very good idea of uh, what happens between the two sides and what happens when you get caught. And I, You know, I've, I've read um, a number of his stories. Obviously, like you're saying, they, they, a lot of them take place during the Civil War. I, I found that I preferred his Civil War stories to stuff like the Red Badge of Courage. I had not read Red Badge, Red Badge of Courage since like seventh grade. How long ago was that? <laughs> I think I, well, I, I read it in the sixth grade and yeah. <laughs> yeah that would have been around the same time. <laughs> um, yeah. You were ahead of me, yeah. <laughs> um, and it was adapted several times into, you know, stuff like Twilight Zone and, and, and uh, stuff like that. Too. Yeah, and just actual, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's been a couple of different films based on it, and uh, um, I think there was a French adaptation of it that doesn't take place in the Civil War; it takes place in France. <laughs> yes, again for for our generation, uh, there's an American Dad episode, an incident at Owl Creek that's based off of it, and the Bon Jovi video clip from Dying Ain't Much of a Living also features into it. It wasn't Dying Ain't Much of a Living off of the uh, Young Guns Two soundtrack. Young Guns. You, yeah. I'll make you famous. <laughs> Which has nothing to do with Ambrose Beers. Although it could have, but it didn't. <laughs> Psych. <laughs> I do have a, a connection real quick with an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge. Okay. So Jody and I, I've mentioned uh, Robert Rankin, some of the books I've been reading of his lately. Uh-huh. And one of the characters in his books is Marchant, which is a bicycle ridden by one of the other main characters. And it's, it's actually based off of sort of an idea of bicycles taking on human characteristics because of their constant contact with humans <laughs> by an uh, author named Flann O'Brien. A real name is Brian O'Nolan, but he tried to write with a, an Irish pseudonym called The Third Policeman. And it's actually a full-sized novel, but it has a similar thing where it's something that happens sort of a moment of death type of thing. And I won't give much more than that because it's not exactly that, but it's really close. It's got a same sort of similar flavor. <laughs> Although it was written much later. Uh, yeah. It was written 1939 to 1940. So, you know, 50 years after an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge and, and not published yeah. even until 67. But, huh. but interesting. I mean, it's still a good read. Not quite as Halloween-y as the others we've been talking about, mm-hmm. uh, but it's, it's still good. 
Yeah, it is. You know, like I said, it was. Um, it's kind of one of those progenitors of the weird tales, weird story kind of thing. Yeah. So, mm. and uh, I, I said I was I was getting into a lot of the authors from that kind of turn of the century era, and I think that's why is because that's when that kind of writing started to emerge. That that kind of story. So, yeah, it's not necessarily you know, a, a monster story or a ghost story or, or even horror, but there's, you know, something supernatural or, or, or maybe even, you know, extraterrestrials going on, but you don't, you're, you don't necessarily know what it is. That's very good. And you brought up two good things. That's awesome. You said supernatural or extraterrestrial and we've talked about both. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that wasn't even planned. <laughs> You are so smart. S-M-R-T. It's M-R-T. <laughs> All right. Ready to talk about the last one? I am, because I'm almost out of beer. Oh, well, gracious, we can't be having that. Mm-mm. All right, so. Go slow. <laughs> Talking to myself, not. <laughs> 40 parsecs of smooth. <laughs> <laughs> no, no Lando Calrissian cognac tonight. <laughs> so this last one is called the middle toe of the right foot. Interesting. Yeah, first published in the San Francisco Examiner, August 17th, 1890. So same as Owl Creek and, and close to the others. This one is, well, it takes five pages to print off. Uh, the last page is two paragraphs. You know, you could have adjusted the size on that and gotten it on four pages. Or vice versa. I could just take it and print it off as it is and not give a shit because I don't care. <laughs> And and because I actually make notes on these when I print them off, <laughs> yeah, that know, way it gives me plenty of room on the margins to make my notes. <laughs> that's, that's true. I just like giving you shit. So <laughs> no, you keep your shit. Keep your shit to yourself. <laughs> yeah, corporalitic pestering. <laughs> yes, twin tears, macabre manner, mead metal mayhem, where we can use fancy terms for shit while we're drinking. Yes. <clears throat> Moving on. <clears throat> so this one may be the most ghost story oriented of the ones we talked about. If you will indulge me, and, and even if you don't, I'm still going to, uh, I'm going to give the first paragraph because this sets it up as a nicely, quite spooky for the like type of thing that it is. So you ready? Ready. It is well known that the old Manton house is haunted. In all the rural district nearabout, and even in the town of Marshall, a mile away, not one person of unbiased mind entertains a doubt of it. Incredulity is confined to those opinionated persons who will be called cranks as soon as the useful word shall penetrate the intellectual domain of the Marshall advance. Uh, it's italicized, so obviously paper. The evidence that the house is haunted is of two kinds. The testimony of disinterested witnesses who have had ocular proof and that of the house itself. The former may be disregarded and ruled out on any of the various grounds of objection which may be urged against it by the ingenious, but facts within the observation of all are material and controlling. Nice. Was that, um, was, was that in, in Park County? Sounds like it, doesn't it? And there is yeah. a Marshall in Park County. Yes, there is. <laughs> we, we, we know people that were from Marshall. But, but it is not. Actually, I thought that same thing when I first started reading this. And I don't know if I made that note, but it definitely is uh, not Marshall, Indiana. Oh, well, that's disappointing. Uh, I think it even says in the story, but I didn't circle that. Or if I did, I'll have to I'll see it as I go through. 
starts off with that nicely spooky little bit there. Yeah. And and as you start this, it, it's abandoned, of course, but then one summer evening come four men in a wagon. Three of them properly alighted, meaning they got off the wagon, and the one who'd been dragging hitched the thing. And so these four men go into the house, and as it goes on, it ends up being a duel. Although instead of guns, they're each given a knife. They each have their uh, shit. I, I just lost it. They're uh, they're number one. <laughs> <laughs> no, number two. Look, I thought we're done with the food talk, <laughs> Bazinga. <laughs> I, I know it was a good setup. I know I knew I yep, I know you missed it. <laughs> but no, it is their second, isn't it? It's actually yes. called their second, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that was perfect. Somehow you hinted at what it was and still made a poop joke. Kudos, my good man. No, actually I meant the poop joke and made it what it was. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Uh, I didn't want to take credit for something I didn't do. I mean, <laughs> it, it, they they get set up, gonna have their little knife fight, mm -hmm. and and as they're talking, uh, it, it then has a flashback. This is one of those neat things. You know how you see a TV show starts and it's in the middle of the action, and then about five ten minutes in it goes forty hours previous. <laughs> yeah. So that that is what they do, and it flashes back to three men having drinks and talking and they start talking smack about a local woman who happens to be the reason why the house is haunted and, and this isn't a spoiler because it talks about it at the beginning where the family in the house the husband had killed the wife and two children mm -hmm. then these men are talking smack about the wife because she had a disfigurement and one of them's like well i could never marry a woman who's disfigured she's not good enough for me being being quite kind of an asshole <laughs> yeah and there's a loner guy sitting there who's overhearing them and and one of the guys at the table with the trio takes a friend at this and he's like yeah you don't need to listen you need to fuck off and go sit somewhere else of course he doesn't actually cuss in any of these right uh, but then a bit of a verbal argument occurs and they agree to have the duel and, you know, the three men are friends and one of them agrees to be the second of this loner guy. And, you know, they're, they're all good. And they make plans to go to the house and mm -hmm. do it there. Things go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yes, as they so often do. <laughs> and, and then it jumps back to the night of the duel, the night fight. And all of a sudden, the wagon's going away with two of the men in it and this figure in white standing behind them. And my first thought was, the fuck is that a ghost in the wagon going with him <laughs> <laughs> and, and you find out of course things are going on that something happened that didn't really go well with the duel and so the next day the sheriff and one of his deputies who happens to be one of the men who was in the wagon uh -huh. go with the brother of the woman who was killed and there they find the corpse of the loner guy who'd been in the knife fight mm-hmm but he hadn't been killed with the knife that was going to just be a cruel prank played on an unsuspecting person. What the three men did not know is that this was the husband, the killer of the guy who lived there, who killed his family, who had come mm -hmm. back after years of being away. He dies in the house. Yep. And I don't want to give away the ending. I will just simply say that, the guy dies, obviously a fright, because he's frozen with the look of fear on his face. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Jinx. 
You owe me a beer. Uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> okay. I mean, that, uh, is, that is a, that is another good story. I've I have read that one. It is it is excellent. It is. It, it's very good. Talk. It very much gets an aspect of manliness where you have bothered me. We must now go kill one another. Yeah. Uh, but also the prankster type of thing that guys typically like that all women do. I'm not saying not all. Mm-hmm. In my experience, men like it more. You know, Ambrose Bierce is very much a macho type of writer. It's very much a man's perspective. Yeah. Not meaning that women can't get it or every man will get it. Right. But you know, for late 1800s, you'll get that attitude from it. And it's, yeah, it's, it's a very, yeah, you get the fighting, the ghost, the, the almost the investigation detective story part of it at the end. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very well written. Oh yeah. And four pages, read four pages. And plus a little extra. And plus two paragraphs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's, that's what I have for spooky Ambrose beer stories. Spooky. Ooh. Yes. And his, um, his his non nonfiction non spooky stuff's pretty good too. So, you know, it is. And we'll, yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely check out the spooky stuff and and uh, check out the other stuff if you get a chance. And while you're at it, after you read a few of his things, uh, go back and then share this with your friends on Facebook or or on whatever social media you have. You know, we're on Twitter. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed it. There'll be more Halloween spookiness coming up. We've got several more things. But until next time, I'm Spooky James. I'm Spooky Jody. Yes, yes, you are. (laughs) 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 Woohoo! And we'll spook at you later. Bye. The Macabre Manor is brought to you by the Twin Terrors. All rights reserved. Stay tuned for some fun outtakes. I don't imagine we'll probably get bombed very often, but. I have yet to be bombed. Well, Zoom bombed. Right. No. Jody. Yes. (laughs) Trying to time the number of seconds after you cleared your throat. (laughs) 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 Well, that's not what I was going for, but I'll take it. (laughs) Oh, one of my favorite memes is of the count from Sesame Street going, I've wasted my immortality on counting things. 500 years and all I did was count. Ah, 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 fuck me.